I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. You're listening to Footy Prime News and Such. Your one-stop destination for footy news and such. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. You know, I, I really wish the audience could hear the, the, the pre-record chats and how Wonga always jumps in just on like the one or the count. Three, two, and Wonga jumps in with some bloody comment that just screws up the entire intro. But anyway, here we are. We're going to Footy Prime News and Such. A special edition. Shaman's here. Brendan's here. Forrest is here. Dunlop's here. JC's here. Of course, I mentioned Wonga. He's always here. Um, the Such today, though, is a friend of the show, a veteran of the pod, actually, a man who might if he really wants it, become the next Prime Minister of England. The, the job's available, apparently, at, at the moment. Or Canada. It, or, or Canada, really. Honestly, at this point, he can pick and choose his job. It, it's John Herbman. John, welcome back to Footy Prime. Thanks, team. Always look forward to this one. Are, are you enjoying the, the political shenanigans in old Blighty today? You know, Johnson steps down. They're, they're, they're panicking. No idea someone else. what's happening. I, I, I had no idea. I've got no idea what's happened in England. The prime yeah, minister just down. quit. Johnson just quit. Fifty MPs quit this week from his party. Oh my god! From the government, wow. yeah. So it's. Uh, I know. I, I used to cover it really, like watch it really closely, like many years ago. And now, I just kind of peripheral. You know, the country's yeah. in decline. It's falling apart. That's why we're here. I'd uh, just but love yeah, to see who uh, Newcastle have signed, and that's about it, really. Back in England. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so John, listen, it's summertime. First question, like what does an international manager do in the summer? I mean, you, you got to show, you know, the Canada soccer that you are working, I guess. But like, what, what are you actually doing right now? Yeah, well, it's, it is summertime. So, you know, I think what's important is you, you've got to take a little bit of time with the family to, um, to just regenerate. It's, uh, it's been a hell of a couple of years in, in in this qualification campaign, twenty odd games. I don't know how many hours try traveling. So, I mean, the, my wife we bought a little bowler, and we've been doing that up a little caravan. So that's been our our project uh, over the summer together. And then um, we're gonna have a little trip up to Montreal. We've never never seen that that city together, and then out to 
Halifax. I'm going to take her out that way and just let us see that part of the country. We've never really sort of travelled in Canada together. We've never seen the, the country. And um, next week I'm going to head down and, and see Rian Wilkinson and Karina LeBlanc in Portland, just hang out with them, spend some time. So, you know, part of it is it is regeneration. I, I think, you know, it's it's been a, a stressful period. There's no doubt there's been a lot of... Uh, Laurie years taken off many people's lives in this campaign while it's been enjoyable. It's it's not been easy. Um but at the same time, this is this is the first time uh, in a long time, James, we've had a chance to be strategic. So we're back into that strategic planning rhythm. Um where, you know, as a group, there's this sort of 14 staff that are working on the goals, objectives, strategies, tactics across their domain, whether it's the physical, the mental, the technical, the leaders have been coming together to establish the mission. We've looked at, you know, four key objectives that are are gonna take Canada to a personal best. And that's that's been the sort of mantra that we're we're here to unlock the players' personal best to create that environment and Underneath that, then we work on the the strategies, and there's there's about 28 strategies we're working on now, deliberately through this next five months, so that whatever happens there is by design and not chance. So there's there's a big shift going in at this moment in time to get everything right to bridge that qualitative gap that we're going to experience and and find the little X factors for Canada. John, I just have to back up uh, right to the start of that conversation we had. And the question was, you, you're camping. What does John Herman look like camping? Do you, do you, you're roasting weenies and stuff like that? No, 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 no. You want to know yurt? No, it's not camping. It's um, a, these little caravans from, I don't know, the 1960s. They're like for little ditty people like me. And uh, <laughs> Do you get yeah, the whole family yeah, in there? They're just, they're just old fashioned. They're called, oh, yeah. yeah. What are they, little Sorry. hobbits getting in that thing? <laughs> i tell you what, if, if Dickie was here and, and he heard the word caravan, he'd be screaming some terrible words at you right now. Oh, you <laughs> yeah, well, he couldn't fit in it, that's for sure. There's no way he fits in it. But no, it, they're just uh, like old, and I've got like an old uh, 62 Beetle. So, I, you know, I like, I like, like sort of tank room a little, yeah. Anyway, so where, where did you go in BC? We're just, we're just sort of renovating it. Where did you go in BC? We, we know it's part. I've got a little, um, a little cabin down in Point Roberts, uh, which is actually in the US. How it's in the US, I don't know because it's right in on in Vancouver. It's it's uh, yeah. I know anyway, that. It's, very it's a piece bizarre. of land, but I, I've just got a little cabin, so we we. We're sick of the kids, uh, like they're growing up now. And, um, you know, my son brings his girlfriend down and it, it's such a small place. So we, we said we get a little caravan, stick it out the back and uh, the kids can sleep in that, you know, give me and Claire some some space. But, yeah, it, we've just been renovating. It's been nice, just, just a little project together to, yeah, pass away a little bit of time. It's been nice. Hey, where did you find that 62 Beetle? Those are pretty rare. Is there a story behind you finding oh, that? 
Yeah, you remember, Craig, we were doing the World Cup together. Do you remember when the Beatle pulled up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I bought it in Toronto. Um, yeah, did 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 a little work, bit of work for CBC. And uh, I, I always had Beatles when I was at university. And, uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd seen it. It was uh, this, this beautiful colour. And um, it was a 62 sort of cow look being lowered and, Exactly what I fancied. So I picked it up in Toronto in while I was doing the uh, our end of end of show drinks and and food. Eh, it rocked That's up. Right. I remember it well. I remember you, it well. I couldn't believe how well you knew them. You saw it though at the auto body shop. Is that right? That it was that was like the only auto body shop in all of downtown. And you were just fixated on the car. Is that what happened? No, I've just seen it online. I've seen oh, it online. Man. I've been, I've been sort of. I always, always looking at, at Beatles. So I don't know why. Don't does know it, why. does it have the racing numbers on it? Oh, uh, they're, they're what the sixty-three. <laughs> yeah. Was it Herbie? Herbie, yeah. Herbie. Yeah. Herbie. Yeah. Is it Mexico? Probably where it was, where it all started. Eh? They were my favorite films as a kid. Yeah. Isn't it Mexico City where all the the cab drivers drive the Beatles? That's right. Yeah, they make them there. They used to go yeah. there. That's right. Yeah. There was yeah. uh, at, at the Olympics in 2016. There was um, uh, we we drove past like the, the favelas, and there was this VW there that was worth around eighty five thousand US dollars. The people would never have known what they had sitting out out front. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Can I get this wow. imported?" Um, yeah, but anyway. It, yeah, I'm pretty obsessed when I go away with Beatles, all my stuff. Uh, yeah, anyway, we'll leave that one. <laughs> my, my parents actually uh, owned a, a 60s, a, in the 60s in Toronto, a Blue Beetle, actually, and they swear by them. They love that car. I've got pictures in my parents' house, and it's uh, it's got a lot of character, that car. It's, it's fantastic. Engine right in the back, right? Beatles. Yeah, air cool. But I, I was sitting on the Alex Fraser Bridge last week at 10 o'clock at night, broken down, waiting for the... Uh, <laughs> the, the car was broken down, right? The on, car. On Alex Fraser Bridge, help me. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, well. they have pros and cons, that's for sure. So, so John, you, you talk about, you know, even though you're relaxing now a little bit now, you know, the strategy's in place. Things are moving forward for, for Carter. Um, how much prep have you done so far regarding the teams in your group have you watched more tape than anyone on your staff or, or do you delegate through the summer who's watching what yeah well, i mean it, we have a structure in place so we, we've got two coaches that focus on the defending strategy two coaches that focus on the attacking strategy i stay on the overview then we have a an analytics scout so the analytics scout will present a complete breakdown on anything analytically that'll show patterns and trends, which, which will just reveal some of the, the strengths and weaknesses. And then we have a, a performance analytics scout. So this performance analytics scout looks at our identity, our style of play, and then tries to match it against the opponent. So we have like a, a working group um, that are working in their own projects, but on very similar templates. And then that comes together. So, you know, the, the scouts are on a 10, 10 game deep dive, the defensive and attacking coordinators, they're in a five game deep dive. We've targeted games that are more relevant to Canada um, and each of our opponents. So, 
you know, that, that's been the, the bulk of the end of June towards July. I mean, coming out of the, the CONCACAF, we, we went on a, a two-month study of what got us here to really understand what put us top of CONCACAF. I mean, the the team were top on goals. We conceded the least amount of goals. We were the strongest team in transition. But we really fundamentally wanted to understand what got us to here, to this point. And then ultimately, when you understand that, you can then recognise what got us here isn't going to get us there. The terrain is completely different. Like, you know, these teams, all teams in the group, are $297 million plus value, $370 million values. They are minimum 15 tier one players in their groups, uh, in their, you know, core squads. You know, so for Canada, the closest we've played is is a Mexico and the U.S., but neither of those teams stack up in relation to a Belgium, for example. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's another level coming. And for us, it's yeah, this got us here in CONCACAF. There are things we were able to do in CONCACAF. There's no way we're able to do at FIFA tournaments like narrow pitches and you know, things you know turn the temperature down to minus 13, you know, things that that do give you a competitive edge. So for us. There's a journey we've got to go on as a collective, and it's not just the technical staff, it's the mental, it's the physical, to really find that that winning formula for Canada, how you close the qualitative gap mentally, emotionally, technically, tactically, and combining all of those things together. Because if we rock up and say, let's just give this a crack, guys, we'll, you know, we'll play the the same sort of 343 to 442 that adapts into a 352. You know, we're not sure that statistically it's it's going to stack up against these teams. And and mentally, you know, for our players, they've got to feel like there's an edge there, a genuine edge that we're going in with that they can believe in. Uh so that that's where we're working at the moment. Yeah, how do you do that, John? When you look at, I mean, it must be frustrating as hell when you you would like to be working with this team for the months leading into it. But unfortunately, you're in a situation where you have a September window. Well, we can also talk about the window that just passed and what your thoughts are with that. But you have the September window, and then I believe they're released from their clubs on November 14th, and the World Cup starts on the 21st. So you have very little time to actually get games in September 1 or 2, and do you play in that week leading into the World Cup behind closed doors against uh, an opposition that's willing to give you a friendly? What do you do in such a short period of time with so little time to work with the guys? Yeah, I think, I mean, you're calling out the constraints and this is a big part of the strategic review. When you look at the landscape, you know, we've got 16, around 16 contacts with the players left. We, We started moving the team in a direction in the last camp. I mean, there were some disruptions in the last camp. And then ultimately, you know, some of the games, you you just can't replicate what you're, you're going to be dealing with in terms of that next level up. But I think, I think from a mindset perspective and then understanding some of the, the tactical identity shifts that the players were, were buying in. They understand that what got us here isn't going to get us there. There, there are some elements that, 
we have to keep. We have to keep. And we were working with the leadership group to understand that you, you've got to be ready to be unconventional with, with the work that you do when you're coming up against these sort of Goliath-type opponents. You know, you, you can't fight a lion with a lion. You've got to be smart in how we go about our business. But there's also a, a reality that this group of men want to show that they don't fear teams. They, they want to show a new Canada. So, so if you think it, it's about parking the bus and scraping a draw, you know, or, or getting a counter-attack goal or after being sort of pinned back for 96 minutes, you know, that, that's not how they want to be perceived either. So the, there's, there's a balance between, you know, really creating a tactical identity that one, the players can trust because it's part of what they've become. And then two, making those tweaks to it so that they believe that this can bring about the best of our strengths and we can get the best out of our strengths in this moment. And I think we saw a little bit of that against the Curaçao team. I think, you know, there was elements of that tactical identity, the clarity in, you know, how we were able to get those Mavericks more frequently on the ball was uh, a big part of, you know, the, the direction we have to take as we move forward. You know, that that ability to really release our pace in, in wide and central areas. John, I mean, listen. It's months away. There's so much football. It's a weird one, right? Obviously, in December, um, with so much football in the European season before then, much can happen. Players are still moving clubs. But do you know deep down in your head what your starting eleven is going to be against Belgium? Health pending. You know what? Before every every event, we had a you, you have the three game lineups done, but then you recognise you have to take it one game at a time. Like if you'd said. We'd have went through this qualification, 14 matches, seven without Alfonso Davies. I would have said, no chance. That's not happening. You know, he's 20, how old is he? 21, 22, like fit as a fiddle. He's he's going to play every match. And and there you are by sort of November, no more Davies. So you, you just, you, you've got a, an insight, like having lived these tournaments, I think it's the staff that I'm with combined, well, Together, I know we've, we've experienced three Olympics, uh, five World Cups. Uh, you know, th- those experiences let you know that with the 92-hour turnarounds, there's going to be more consistency in your starting lineup. Like in the CONCACAF turnarounds, you, you, were, you were in a three-game window across 10 days. Like the 92-hour turnarounds really allow full regeneration mentally, emotionally, physically. So I know I'm going to be able to rely on players more consistently and it's not going to be as, the lineups aren't going to be as rotated as you, you'll have seen across the CONCACAF qualifying when you had travel and you're going from turf to heat to cold to, <laughs> there's a lot of consistency. So you know, I think when you, you talk about an 11, of, of course, at this point, you're always thinking when you're looking at Belgium or Croatia, this is the 11 for that game. But what I've learned is, you know, the COVID realities, it is a, a, a congested period of time, that, that November period. Guys are going to have Europa League, Champions League, you know, their league schedules, <clears throat> two games a week. 
There'll be in cup competitions, domestic cup competitions as well. Yeah, it, you never know who's coming out of this. And then you've got an MLS group that, you know, some of those players could be finished by October if they don't make the playoffs. So it is a, it is a complicated period. I mean, the, when you talk about strategically, the, the work that gets done now, this is the type of work we're looking at. We're looking at what the MLS player strategy is. You know, how long are we going to keep them out of camp? What's the right emotional time to work with them away from their families and a condition? What type of work are we doing with them, given it will be a smaller group? Do we extend that group? Do we align a game scrimmage with the U.S. and the States? Do we try and bring Costa Rica in? And that's just for the MLS players. Then we're looking at the remote strategies for our top players in Europe. And we're looking at remote strategies, recognizing that some of these players in the teams that they're in, they don't get tested physically the way they get tested for Canada. So when you're playing in a starting 11 for Canada, it's not the same level of tests they're getting weekly playing for Bayern Munich. And therefore, they're going to have to do increased high-speed runs, increased total volume against Belgium playing for Canada. But when we're the bridge in that gap, so our conditioners are now looking at how we top a Davies up or a Jonathan David up at their clubs. And then you're wrestling with their their conditioning staff because they're going, we don't want them doing any extra. So so this is, you know, it's part of the meeting. When, when we exited, you know, we said to the players, look, you, you've all got a price to pay. Like you cannot bargain with the price. Like there's a price for you guys to pay in these next six months. If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got and it won't be good enough at this next level, at a World Cup level. You've got to know that you've done the extra, whether that's, you know, Davies, who doesn't take a set piece for Bayern Munich, but he takes the set pieces for Canada. He's got to be practicing those things on a daily basis Mm -hmm. because they'll win football matches and tournaments. That's right. So this is the stuff where, where... when you think of what you're doing in the summer, well, yeah, I might be, you know, fixing my caravan up and taking them with people. <laughs> There's a lot to, to to really grapple with to close the qualitative gap that Canada has to, to close. How much of a missed opportunity was the last window, John? Well, I, I have to, I, I always want to get to like the silver linings in this, like, you know, when you're living it, there's there's a frustration, a real frustration, because you are seeing the clock tick down, and you, you you know how detailed we are, like the amount of work that goes into planning the sessions, the meeting content. So, any time that that's stripped away, but you know, the silver linings for me is the players stood together, they used their platform for for change, for for change for men and women in this country as as footballers. They're driving a new Canada on the field and they're driving a new Canada off the field. They're pushing new levels. So I think, you know, seeing them come together and stand together and go through a lot of... Um, there was a traumatic period, you know. Some guys want to play, some guys... Uh, you know, it was it was a tough period of time, I think, for them as a group to manage. Um but they came through it together, and, and that Curacao game was was a fair reflection of of them binding in a tough moment. 
But I think that the real silver lining, Craig, is it didn't happen in September. It didn't happen yeah. 10 days before the tournament. And you've seen, you know, the Dutch teams, the French teams, you've seen big teams capitulate just before they walk into a World Cup. And I'm hoping we, we've had our tough moment now and everything else is is on a nice, you know, upward trajectory. So that that, that was, uh, there was frustration, but... It means I think we're going to get a clean September, and September, you know, we're going to stay in Europe um, to, uh, to to just make sure the players, the 60 70% of our national team players aren't adding that additional travel to their legs, given that they've got a heavy schedule. But it also gets the people, particularly the staff, who we've never been out of CONCACAF, since my first camp, you know, we've never been to Europe. That's it crazy, Travelling again and getting used to having to go that part of the world and, and setting up in that part of the world. So, and, and also, you you know, your opponents, that there's a, you know, a higher likelihood of getting what we would call one of those tier one, level two or level three opponents, that 300 million plus valuation team that will really test us can you please play I'm glad portugal? You mentioned that sorry so go ahead b can you please play portugal john because i'm not getting it in group h as a portuguese canadian just in september <laughs> yeah. please play portugal yeah the europeans it, it's tricky because they're all um in nations league that that was the yeah. the really hard part around the the june planning and and september is you, you want a european team but th- there's no accessibility um to those teams. So you, you really have to try and then find a team that a lot of their players are playing in Europe um, and have got that sort of European style of play attached to them as they come into their national team settings. So, yeah, we, we'll have a good a good opponent. I mean, I'm hoping there'll be an announcement uh, soon enough, but, you know, there's been some good work behind the scenes from, you know, the guys at head office to, to get us – you know, a, a good opponent, an opponent that we can really um, test ourselves against. I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, you know, other teams' divisions over, you know, bargaining happened before. We've seen France do it numerous times, you know, it's happened. Um, I know you can't say too much. I, I understand that. But you built this this band of brothers, this brotherhood that's really got this team to where they're at right now, which I'm sure has served them pretty well in these negotiations are you just at this point just you stay well away from that i'm sure you're on the periphery you understand what's going on but you're not involved in that are you just very much just get it done i'll stay over here you two parties get together and fix this thing yeah and i think i think as a coach it's just a fine balance because you work for canada soccer and you're part of a team at, at canada soccer and then you're you're part of this team and and you have to be able to see both sides and you, you've got to be able to support both parties in the best way you can. And I think when you're in these situations as a coach, you, you cannot, I mean, it, you know, as players, it, it takes time to build trust with, with football players. Like it, it's been a hell of a journey to, to build that trust. Um, and you can't break that. You just kind of break it. So, you know, respectfully, you know, the, the leadership at Canada Soccer, they, they removed the coaching team from those discussions. And and I thought that was a, that was the right decision at that time because, 
you know, if we were dragged into that um, at, a, at a strategic level, if you break trust with players and, and you just say the wrong thing, I mean, that's it. It's four years of of hard work down the drain, this close to a, a, a pinnacle event to, to, to realise in the big dream. So, yeah, I think, you know, just that balance of being able to, you know, give give some counsel to, to players and, you know, and, you know, the strategic leaders as best you can. John, I, I've got a question for you now. <laughs> I, I don't like this. No, no, no. No, no, no. Very thoughtful question. No, no. It's, it's a football question, and I, I'm really curious to know how you handle these situations where, you know, Watching this national team, it's been such a pleasure and, and, and couldn't be any more proud of, of this national team and where it is today and, and the excitement that it's it's brought to, to this country. Now, the players, they must be so excited going into this World Cup. And I know if it was me as a player getting to that World Cup, I would be so wound up like a tetherball around a pole <laughs> waiting to play these games, how do you how do you control the emotions and keep the calm, and not waste energy before you go into these games at the World Cup? Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's a great question because I feel like everything comes back to that that mental component. It's it, it's like that holding the the sand in the hand. You know, you can either hold it too tight and it squeezes out or you hold it too loose and it slips between the, the, the fingers. You've got to really get that, that, that feeling. Uh, and it is about feeling. You've got to get the feeling right. I remember 2015, the opening World Cup match, and we, we, we'd sort of try to create this calm in the team because there'd just been so much attention. The players hadn't been used to you know that that level of of intensity around scrutiny and and even the adulation that we're receiving, and it was all about keeping them calm. And I remember Tancredi after the game said, "Like you know, I think we got that wrong. You know, we we just didn't feel like we were our Canadian ready to go and you know smash people, and yeah. you know we were we were playing within ourselves and." You know, we, we had two of the top mental experts in Canada working with the team at the time as well. We were, you know, using bio-neurofeedback with, with the staff and key players, you know, to try and stimulate the alpha theatre waves. That are, I mean, all the stuff you, you try and do to get an edge. And at the end of the day, Tank turns around and said, look, you know, we were too calm. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know? So it, it is, it, it, it's a balance. I think w- what's interesting about this, Jimmy, is you've got people like, you've got people like Alfonso Davies that's, that's walked in the Champions League finals. You've got Atiba Hutchinson that's been in, you know, those, those big matches, Besiktas, Galatasaray, to win a, a title. You've got Johnny David scoring against PSG to help his team win a title. So I think we've, we've got a, a core of people who, have lived the big moments. That they, they they understand the mindset required for a championship moment, and you know I think the, the the critical part of this is like right underneath this, the biggest fear these men are going to carry is the shame of getting humiliated. That that's the biggest fear they're going to carry. Yeah. So so bringing that to the forefront for this group. And starting to openly just just share that that level of 
we've got to put this aside because that's what's going to impact the mentality. You know, whether you're going to be under, under, under aroused or over aroused, it, it's going to come back to you fearing this moment because the team haven't been in it before. We've never been to a World Cup for a long time. We've never had a moment where billions of people are watching you play. We've never had a moment where this moment might change your career forever. That's right. Yeah. So all of this, like all of these elements are, are conversations, which it's just the vulnerability of the group. But if you don't open that up and, and let them ghosts out of the wall, yeah. they will come and haunt you on the field. It, it, it's normal. So... <clears throat> You know, when you ask, what are we looking to do here? I've got a, a leadership group of eight players. And this this leadership group, they have influence, max influence on players in, in the team in ways I will never influence. And when you get that group talking about those, those vulnerabilities, they then shift that in their way to the people they influence. And I think that's the starting point. If, if you're going to say... Can you control this? I don't know. Like one guy might be absolutely amazing, and then you get another <laughs> player that completely capitulates. Yeah, and, and you just don't know until until the moment you can try your best to get the psychologists involved and have your leadership meetings. But we're all human. Yeah, we're ordinary people put in extraordinary situations, and this is going to be extraordinary. So, you know, some of it's going to be. And I keep saying this to the group, you're going to grow through the tournament. But that growth, it can't be like that. <laughs> it, it's, mm. got to be, it's going to be small steps. Right, and, and, you know, we, we've got to go into that first match knowing we have got to have some fear. That humiliation is around the corner. It's there. But we've got to fear less because these are the things you've experienced on this journey that will tell us when we are tight, when we stick together, when we deliver the tactical strategy, when we adapt in game, we've shown against Mexico, US, in the Azteca, in Nashville, in the Azteca, that this is who we are. And, and that's, like I said, what got us here won't get us there. But hmm. what got us here is the foundation that will help us get to that next level. And, John, how do you keep how do you keep the distractions at the World Cup to a minimum? I mean, distractions from family, from media. You got to keep them sheltered some, somewhat. How do you do that? And with the social media these days, you know, one thing could be said about a player that can actually just gut the whole atmosphere of the uh, squad. How do you protect them from that? Yeah, we we had great learnings, Craig, in the 2015 World Cup. Some brilliant learnings. I mean, uh, you know, that World Cup, I, I remember the first media scrum at the training venue. There was 80 media in a scrum, you know, and you, you're looking at that going, wow. And the scrutiny on that home World Cup for the, the Canadian women's team was was immense. It, it, it's probably the closest I think we're going to experience to, you know, what it's going to feel like. And and we experienced that. You had... Um, you know, you, you scrape past China in the first game and immediately, immediately, you're now getting this this wave of negativity coming through. You know, the veterans, Tancredi and Sinclair are too old. Um, 
you know, Herdman's tactics uh, uh, are boring or w- whatever. Like it, it was coming through. And, and the Apologies, player, John. Sorry. Montreal game. <laughs> it, it, it was the, the Montreal game we um, against the Netherlands. So we, we, we'd sort of scraped by China. We drew with New Zealand. And then, you know, we had the Netherlands um, coming up and, you know, we were taking heat. The, the heat was coming for the first time. These players were experiencing, like, people questioning the coaching staff, questioning the, the veterans in the team. And and, and it, was, uh, it, was, it was impacting the group for sure. So I, I just remember we put on, um, you know, I took them back to England, 1990, Bobby Robson, you know, taking the heat. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was just saying, you know, Geordie manager, I, I took them back through a bit of background of where he was from and that he, he was a bit of a, an idol for me. And we just showed some vignettes of, you know, the amount of grief that England team were taking prior to 1990. And then, you know, the, the, the team coming together with the Gascoigne moments and, and just encouraging the players to, to have that, that moment, you know, to enjoy mm. being together. And, and and I remember Ashley Lawrence, our celebration at the end, like, you know, she did like a bit of a Gascoigne thing because, you know, she, she when she scored that goal, it was, uh, that was her moment, you know. So anyway, it, it, it can really help. So I think having lived some of the experiences, Craig, you, you know, it's coming. Like it's coming. There's going to be, like you, you lose the first game, you even you draw the first game. Like people are going to expect you to beat Belgium uh, for some reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think internally, I'm lucky that I've got guys who've lived a lot of this in their careers that they know the traps of the external world, and and for us, it's it's about really making this a, a fun environment but more importantly keeping the players busy so we've been designing like a an adventure football ground at our training facility you know where we're looking to do things a little bit differently you know having um some inflatable assault courses there and just so that so, so the players uh no, are able no to dolls like, are there well, <laughs> Oh Paintball God. courses, they'll come out with dots all over their foreheads. Yeah. <laughs> but, but look, it's, you, it's the first time we've been given like a facility for like 10, 11, 12 days, which we own. So, you know, we're, we're looking to try and, you know, have more double days, but double days in a way that it's not your, your traditional turn up and it's shadow play and, you know, you're getting drilled in phases of play, 11 v 11s. You know, we're trying to get them out the hotel, get them to our little football adventure land, let them do the work, let them do individual work, let them do the tactical work. But work made fun gets done. So I think there's a that there's a reality of of trying to keep them busy. That that's that's going to be one of the critical parts. And it was a big learning from the 2015 World Cup. You know, we didn't have the players busy enough. Um, there was a lot of time between games and, you know, we were on one sessions a day and, and it was, yeah. So, so we're looking at things a bit differently now, some good learnings. And luckily the staff that were at the Olympics 2012, 
the World Cup 2015, Olympics 2016, and some were at the gold medal Olympics as well. Those staff are now on the men's team in medical, mental, uh, some of them in technical capacities. So a lot of, a lot of good experience, but there's going to be a, a shitload of things there that we just don't know about. And, and we've just got to accept it and have, have an experience and be ready to, to enjoy that experience as well, whatever comes. I guess the easy answer is just beat Belgium, John, and then, you know, all, all the noise goes away, right? So <laughs> just, just, do, just that. do that and uh, the stuff just fine. Um, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll give it a crack. We'll, we haven't got much to lose, yeah. have we? Really? Exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, John, thanks so much. You're always so generous with your time. This has been great. Um, enjoy your trip around Canada in the Beatle. And if anyone's like flashing you or, you know, honking you, you know, the probably fully prime listeners. <laughs> and they'll, they'll keep their eye out for you. But thanks so much. And we hope to chat to you later this summer. No, thanks, Steve. And John, just one more thing. Can you please pick up Craig? We want to know between the two of you on this trip, who's the big spoon, little spoon? You are picking him up on your yeah. cross Canada trip <laughs> with Claire, are you not? So, so no, my, my beetle's got like a rag top, so you'll be able to have his head out. He's like a giraffe. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, you, you know he's getting in that that beetle with his two cats as well. Huh? <laughs> hey, if there's a Photoshopper out there, anyone Photoshop, please. Get Craig in, in John Herman's Beetle with his head out the top. <laughs> Please. Thanks so much, John. This has been great. All the best, team. Cheers, John. Thanks, man. See you. That is John Herman. Uh, as always, a great chat with John there. Um, man, so much to, to dissect there. And we'll do it in the coming you know, shows, I'm sure. We're almost out of time here, guys. But I found it interesting, Jimmy, You know, when John talks about um, you know, the, the fear, the element of fear that, that footballers naturally have. Right. Yeah. And that humiliations around the corner. Is that something that you experienced? Yeah, of course. As a, as a footballer, it's always in the back of your mind. I mean, you, you want to go to this, this, this tournament or even if it's any game and you're playing against big teams, you, you never want to get embarrassed. And it's always in the back of your mind. You know, what if, what if we end up losing this 4-0? What if it was 5-0? You know, it's, it always plays on your mind um, that you never want to get embarrassed and you want to go out there and, and have a great performance. And the, the amount of times where you, you think that you're, you know, physically prepared, mentally prepared, but then you go out there and things just don't click. And all of a sudden now you're, you're down 4-0 after 20 minutes and you're thinking, what the hell's going on here? Um, so he's, he's, he's writing what he's saying. Like, you, you, you know, you can't be, you can't be afraid of the fear and you can't think like that. And you you just got to get on with it and make sure that you do go out there and, and you put on a performance. The one yeah. thing, B, that I get, the, moment. the one thing that I get from, from, you know, when you hear John talk, B, is that, you know, whatever happens in, in Qatar, you know, on the field, preparation won't be an issue. Mm-hmm. This team will be ready. They, they'll know every facet of their opponent and they'll be prepared for this team. So, you know, that's one element, I think, as a, as a Canadian soccer fan, you, mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about. No, definitely. And the, the elements of this preparation started how many tournaments ago? The references that he you know, brings to 2012 and 2015 and particularly how they weren't busy enough. Like he, he's bringing such a wealth of experience, even though this yeah. is his first men's World Cup and Canada's first men's World Cup in 35 years. I, yeah. I, I'm really excited. I can't wait to see them hit the pitch. Yeah, he's, he's writing what he's saying, too. I mean, you know, but it goes to show you the experience that he's gained as well as a, as a manager and his mm-hmm. staff. Um because myself as a player, if I had too much time off, I, I was miserable. I needed to be stimulated. I needed things to be happening for me and in order for, for me not to focus too much on the football, but I could just get away and, and clear my mind and I needed things to do. Um, 
And it, it was great to hear him talking about that. And then going back to the preparation, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that, that, that John and his staff will, will have these players so so prepared. But at the end of the day, it's about the players themselves. They're the ones that have to perform. The coaching staff can only do so much. And it's at, at the end of the day, it's about the players that step onto that pitch. They're the ones that have to perform. That's a great point because, I mean, we, we give great managers a lot of credit, and rightly so, but what it comes down to is the players. Can they mentally prepare themselves? Physically, are they good enough? That is a big part of it too, right? And against Belgium, against Croatia, they're going to be big underdogs. So like John said at the end there, nothing to lose. Why not? It's going to be a really fun preparation for us, I think, leading up to the World Cup. And uh, just wait, boys, you know, November, on the eve of that kickoff, how we're going to feel as football fans. It's going to be something pretty special. Um, We're out of time. That was great. John's always, uh, like I mentioned there, always so generous with his time with us. Uh, and we will get him on again soon. Uh, this has been, what is it, news and such? It's Friday, right? Yeah, I was getting news and such and uh, this just in mixed up. But it's news and such. I think you did well there. You you, you landed it. I probably shouldn't have uh, admitted that I had no idea what show it was. And well, just, uh, you're always gone with it. Your days of the week are always confused. You're not afraid of humiliation when you come on this show, but that's how I have to live my life. <laughs> that's a great point. Two minutes yeah. ago, you give me the don't say anything, and now you're two-minute closer. All right. No, oh, I, Craig, I, I, Craig. I, I, I texted Craig and put on the private chat here. Let's <laughs> jump out, after, and he still throws one more in there. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. Anyway. It was a good question, though. So it, was a great, it was a good question. Yeah. And you knew hey, it wasn't going to be a short answer. No. No. We, 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 we could chat with John for hours, let's, let's yeah. be honest here. It was a great conversation. Right. I, I mean, that. we wouldn't say anything, but we could chat with John for hours, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone, hope you enjoyed that. Um, this has been Footy Prime, of course. Uh, like us, subscribe us, tell your friends about us, please. You know, this is a good interview and uh, in-depth John Herman. You don't get that too, too often. And keep, please, please, just keep on buying those, those newspapers. 